Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. back modelers thank you for tuning in with us once again for another episode dave and i both have been enjoying some decent time at the bench and we hope you have as well since last joining us between episodes we encourage you to join in on the fun over on our facebook page or shoot your comments and feedback to us via facebook messenger or by email at plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com we love hearing from you and ask you to share your thoughts comments and ideas who knows we might just turn into a special segment so, with that said, pour a drink, cozy up to your bench, arrange your tools, and let's get into episode 22 of Plastic Model Mojo. Well, Dave, we're back for another uh, exciting episode of Plastic Model Mojo. Well, let's hope it's exciting. Uh, well, I, hope, I hope it is, too. How yeah. you been? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, so, uh, uh, what's your modeling fluid tonight? Well, I'm sipping on a little Old Forester 1920 Prohibition-style bourbon. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I don't know if you've had that or not. Um, no, I've had their Statesman Reserve. Okay, this is, you know, Old Forester's distilled in Louisville there, where you are. Yep. Uh, it's 115 proof, but it's really smooth, if not a little bit dry. So it's not apparently hot for a 115, which is kind of nice. It goes yes. down good. Uh, the color's really rich, kind of leaning to the dark as far as bourbons go. Yeah. And it's got all the warm notes you'd expect from a solid bourbon. Lots of lots of warm flavor. It's really good. Um, I really highly recommend this. But it's about a sixty dollar bottle, which you know still isn't high for a bourbon. But for me, it's just kind of a special treat. I usually don't go that high on my more pedestrian uh, libations. So yeah. you should grab one and give it a shot. It's uh-huh. really really exceptional. I think. I'll have to do that. Yeah, usually sixty is a is a bit uh, bit rich for my blood when it comes to bourbons because there are a lot of good, you know, thirty to thirty five forty dollar bottles that you can get. So uh, I tend to stay away from from some of the higher price stuff. Of course, in the scheme of things, there's bourbons that make that look cheap. <laughs> Certainly. Well, what are you enjoying tonight? Well, uh, for only the second time since you and I have been doing the, doing the podcast, I've got a mixed drink. It is a pink cranberry martini. Shaken, not stirred. Well, actually, yes, it is shaken. My wife enjoys flavored martinis, chocolate martini, lemon drop martini. Um, and she found this recipe for the pink cranberry martini and i'm not a huge fan of cranberry the taste of cranberry but she wanted to wanted me to get it and fix fix it for her. and i did and it's surprisingly good the the cranberry note is uh, it's it's not the first note that greets you and it's very subtle and it blends in well with the gin the lime juice and the orange uh orange liqueur and it's very drinkable very very good as a sipping drink now it it doesn't exactly look manly i, I, I will post a, a photo on the uh, to go with the show notes but uh, it, it's 
not not many ways you can look manly drinking this thing, particularly out of a martini glass. But I will say it's it's a really good mixed drink. Well, I'm not a big martini guy, but I'll take your word for it. Yep. Well, we got a little bit in the mailbag this this week. Good. Let's get into that. Preston Culp from Wichita, Kansas. I think he's written in before, but uh, he wanted to make sure we gave out another shout out to John Wojtek at uh, UMM USA, his, his business. We've mentioned him quite a bit on the show f- uh, regarding tools and things like that. Preston had ordered from UMM and the package had several routing issues for s- some reason. Every once in a while, the barcode label might get gouged or something. It just screws everything up. I don't know how that happens, but it does. But anyway, John tracked it down on two occasions for from his end and managed the shipment corrections with the U.S. Postal Service on, on his side, following up the entire time with phone calls to keep Preston informed. And then John ultimately had the box returned to UMM where he repacked it and threw in a freebie for all the hassle that was experienced by Preston and getting this package and he sent it out again. So Preston, I hope that's uh, the end of that ordeal. And I, I'm sure you're a solid UMM customer from now on because that's really, really what sets apart a business, an average business from an exceptional one. If you've met uh, John Wojtek at all, that does not surprise me. He is very friendly, very customer-oriented. He clearly enjoys the hobby business and, you know, geeking out with other modelers and sharing information and advice. So it does not surprise me that he would go to the go the extra mile to make sure that the customer gets what they ordered. Next up is uh, Stephen Lee in... Uh- the Washington DC area. And <laughs> he sent in a good one. Uh, it's pretty much a full on hobby buying rant. Um, in fact, it's so good that I'm just going to acknowledge Steven's email that we've received it. And cause this is a special segment material. So episode 23, we'll deal with the various facets and nuances of the secondary kit market. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I love it when, when, uh, listeners, uh, send us emails or, or uh, Facebook messages or whatever, and end up giving us ideas for topics. Believe me, that's that's you know the interactions the half the fun of this thing. So that's great. Ian McCauley, our Canadian liaison up in Ottawa, writes us in again, and <laughs> he says Dave is correct regarding trumpeter instructions. Oh, good. <laughs> but he argues that dragons are worse. <laughs> I'm I'm sure he's telling the truth, at which point I never want to see a dragon kit in my life because uh, I think I'm going to have PTSD from these trumpeter instructions. So I can't imagine what he's what he what he's talking about with dragon. However, he says, after spending a day putting together two dressers, just be glad IKEA doesn't make model kits. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. I've assembled several IKEA items. I, uh, that's a that's a good line. Uh, it, which made me think back. You know, we had the the T thirty four segment last time, and I was kind of rummaging through my various kits in the stash. Do you remember when the Dragons T thirty four model nineteen forty came out, and it had the slick paper color CAD rendered instruction sheet in it? Yes, I do. Do you, do you remember that? What the heck happened after that? Maybe they. F- who knows? That, maybe that was probably was expensive. expensive. I was going to say, maybe it was too expensive and they just said, you know, modelers don't read instructions anyway, so why should we bother, you know, doing real fancy ones? K 
Kevin Kelly writes in and uh, he offers some input to their death of the hobby segment. And I'm going to file that one as way as well. Cause we are planning a special uh, bonus episode regarding that. And he had a lot of uh, information we can put in into that. So Kevin, we got your email. Uh, we're going to add it into our, our special bonus episode to kind of wrap up that, that special segment and uh, we'll get to it then. Uh, and then just uh, in the last day or so, Brandon Walters from Ontario, Canada writes in and asks basically, how do how do we keep our modeling mojo alive during uh, long involved projects? And I copied you on my response to Brandon today. And my response to him, just so that other listeners know what we're talking about, he had purchased a, I can't remember, I think it was a, a to me, a 30 second scale Spitfire. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Beautiful kit. And and he had started collecting all the, the uh, various aftermarket things related to that kit. And basically for, for, for me, I told him that you need to pick something you've got a vested interest in for, for, from the get-go. Because for me personally, if I, if I do that, it kind of raises the bar as to how much crap I'm willing to put up with in the build to get it get it done and work through, through it. I think if you pick something on a lark, oh, this might be fun to build or whatever, and you're, it's kind of a, a passing kind of thing. Uh, when you start hitting roadblocks, you're much more likely to, to shelf it, I think, and not not push it through, but what do you think? I agree with you. And I'm in fact, um, this subject will tie nicely into our special segment later on. So I'll make reference back to it uh, when we get there. Sure thing. All right. Well, for this, this uh, last couple of weeks, that's all our listener mail that's uh, not going to get used elsewhere. So <laughs> thanks everyone. Please keep it coming. Yes, thank you all. We appreciate you suggesting stuff. You can send those emails to plasticmodelmojo at uh, gmail.com, and we'll get you on. That's right. Uh, And this is the point in the episode where I usually ask you all to stop and uh, rate our podcast on whatever podcast listening platform you're using. You all have been doing that, and we really appreciate it. Also, please continue to tell your friends who may not be listening to podcasts at this point, or uh, particularly your modeling friends who aren't listening to modeling podcasts, please turn them on to us, tell them, suggest they listen. The interaction between modelers and the personal recommendation from uh, a, a friend and fellow modeler is one of the best ways to get us new listeners, and we want new listeners. Finally, this is, uh, I I want to ask you all to, if you're not currently a member of the National IPMS organization in your country, for most, many of our listeners, that's IPMS USA, please consider joining. It's a good organization. It helps spread modeling news. It helps spread modeling knowledge, and it helps organize all the local clubs uh, and makes makes their ability to put on contests and hold meetings uh, a lot better through the insurance that the that the national organization provides. So, please, if you're not a member of the national organization, please join. In addition, we'd like you to all to check out our fellow podcasts. So, we'd like to give all those guys a plug. Uh, Scale Model Podcast is up to episode fifty five. And uh, they have an update from Warren Sterrett from uh, the Golden Sprue Awards Initiative. So so please check that out. On the Bench is episode 94. And Ooh, they're talking close. 
getting close and they're talking about bare metal finishes. So that's, that's worth a listen as always. And the plastic posse podcast is coming in at episode five and they've got Anthony Goodman on there. So man, that guy gets around. Absolutely. And you know, if he makes it to Wonderfest next year and we can, we can attend, we need to get him in the third chair for a face to face to face. Oh, absolutely. And on the same kind of vein as the podcast, I want to give an encouragement to the listeners to check out the Golden Sprue Awards. Again, Warren Sterrett out of Ireland. Uh, his initiative is now in the voting phase, which I think ends at the end of October. Yes, I believe so. So go get your votes in among the top nominees and help make this a success because uh, it's starting to get a lot of traction for him. And uh, he was, he was uh, like I said, the guest on the Scale Model Podcast and be curious to see where this, where this goes. Me too. Well, it's a countdown to Vegas time, Dave. Dun, dun, dun. At the time of this recording on October 5th, we are 317 days away from the IPMS National Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm, I cannot wait. Uh, I've talked to Bob Provado today, in fact, and the big piece of news right now is that the uh, trophy sponsorship have opened up they've got a got a uh, category list up now and you can uh, pay for sponsorships via mail-in payment with a check or paypal credit card that sort of thing as well and we'll get that link up it's uh but for now it's www.natslv2021.com slash trophy hyphen sponsor if you're interested or your club's interested in supporting the ipness IPMS National Convention, you got a little uh, extra money. Think about sponsoring a trophy trophy package or, you know, one of the one of the awards or m- multiple awards, up to you, I guess. Please give it a look if you're interested in that. Absolutely. It's a great thing to do, a great way to support the guys who put on the Nationals. People unless you've actually put one on, I don't think most people, even most people who go to an IPMS USA Nationals realize how much the local chapter does. Uh, the legwork, the effort, the devotion, not just the days of the of the actual contest, but all of the work leading up to it. So it's a good idea for the rest of the modelers out there to support them so that we get more and better nationals each time. So, uh, Mike, what's your bench top look like? Well, it's uh, seen a little activity since we last talked. I know. I saw the Facebook page. Talk, talked via this uh, this venue anyway. My little Airfix Morris tractor and Bofors is moving moving forward. Uh, the tractor especially is progressing nicely. I uh, I got the wheels finished up with the uh, Adam Wilder's Aqualine, and we talked about that last time. So I, those are all done now. Don't have them on the truck yet, but getting close. Uh, what I'm really pleased with right now, though, is the canvas top. Uh, I had kind of base coated that in. Uh, a couple of shades of a dark, dark khaki brown kind of color and done, mm-hmm. did some, did some initial highlighting with the airbrush. But since then I've gone back and I picked out all the, uh, the little canvas tie strips, you know, where you roll up a window and tie it off with a little piece of a webbing. Right. Uh, pick those out in a really light highlight color. Uh, but the thing I did that really kind of set it off was, um, the thing kind of cast is one piece well, it's not one piece, but uh, the windows aren't the window panels aren't separate. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And there's very fine lines of demarcation to to, to represent those window panels, and they're they're signif- significant enough that a, that a wash will pick them out. Which I, I did apply a wash around them to get them to stand out a little bit. But before that, uh, I took 
some Vallejo acrylic paint and, and I got a, a mixed a color that was a close match, but a little bit darker than what I'd based the canvas cover in. Mm-hmm. And I, I thinned it out into a glaze and I went back and I, I painted the, uh, brush painted the window, uh, the window panel covers in this color two or three times with this really, really thin glaze. I mean, it was almost transparent, but, mm-hmm. but when I, but when I was done, there's this subtle difference in, in the, uh, the canvas top, you know, the main body of it. And then the separate window panels and door panels, it kind of looks like they're made out of a different piece of canvas. Maybe that was a slightly different color. Gotcha. And it really came out nice. I'm really, really pleased with it. And then also did some, uh, some shading on the top to kind of further reduce down the contrast in that British roundel on the, on the top of the thing. So when this thing's done, are you going to put it on a little base? Uh, have you been watching the latest uncle night shifts where he's been making bases and, uh, as particularly oh, yeah. desert bases and taking notes? I've taken a lot of notes. I've got it. I've got a, uh, a scenic base in mind. I'm trying to decide whether to stay true kind of toward, the airfix box art or do something a little different. I, I've bought a, some, I bought something I might be using for the base, but I'll get into that into what broke, pro, broke my wallet segment later. But, uh, it's, it's some trees, basically some tropical trees, yeah. palm, palm trees. Uh, other than that, I, I've, uh, started, started weathering the Bofors gun. I, last night I shot the, uh, the highlight colors on the, uh, the gun, the gun base and the, uh, the gun shield and gun and the wheels, et cetera and getting that ready for further weathering. Other than that, that's that's the only thing that's made progress on my bench in the last couple of weeks. The, the E16 Paul is still stagnant. The anti-tank gun is still stagnant. I'm really trying to push this one closer to finish before I pick up on one of those again. That's kind of my plan. How how close do you think you are on the on the Bofors? Uh, the Bofors won't take long to weather. Uh a couple of days, I think. So maybe can, if I can get some time this week, maybe by the weekend, it'll be weathered. I've got to cut okay. some mass for the wheels again. So not, not too far along where it's going to slow down is, is where I shot my mouth off about putting windows in the, in the tractor. <laughs> that, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna slow me down a little bit. I've got a plan, but it's a yet to be executed. To, to quote Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, I hope I don't get punched in the face. <laughs> How's your bench, Dave? My bench is crowded. Uh, the M30 is coming along, made it over the hump of getting the main gun part and gun shield together and uh, getting the brass barrel in and trued up. So, uh, by the way, uh, dropping a barrel in there and getting it true on three axes is, or axes is... A fun little experience. Uh, the kit doesn't go together badly. It actually goes together quite well. The instructions are horrid. Uh, and in fact, when this is all over, I am going to, on our Facebook page or somewhere, write an extended rant on the poor trumpeter instructions. And if you're going to build this kit, what you really should do. It's almost as if the, they wrote the instructions backward. I would start with their end steps and go back toward <laughs> toward what they have as the beginning. Um, <laughs> and then there are things that there there's a lot of really nice molding and all in this kit. And then Trumpeter does something like what I ranted about on the uh, Facebook page uh, a few nights ago. 
there is under the under the main carriage connecting the two wheels that the gun sits on, there's a leaf spring and Trumpeter molded the darn leaf spring in two halves. Well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I have no understanding why they did it. There is no logical reason to do it. For After I ranted about it, I panicked and thought, wait a minute, maybe this was two leaf springs side by side. And what they were doing was representing the fact that the leaf springs were actually two smaller leaf springs bolted together. But I went and I looked at uh, one of the walkarounds off of Scalemates, and no, that's not the case. So there's no good explanation for why they did that. But I can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel on the M30, or at least getting to the painting stage. The Bibber is actually making progress again after sitting and staring at it and cogitating and deciding how I wanted to go about weathering this thing uh, and in what order I wanted to weather it. Uh, I finally made some decisions, and so I've decided that before I apply the weathering, any of the weathering, I uh, other than the, what I did with the airbrush as far as shading differentials, I am going to apply a coat of future because even the chipping I want to apply, I want to try and chip and uh, wash and maybe a little dry brushing. We'll see. Depends. Um, and some some of the AK colored pencils or watercolor pencils, I think all of them will, with the exception of the AK watercolor pencils, work better over uh, a future base. So I've gone ahead and futured it. I'll do all the weathering steps except the watercolor pencils. Then I'll hit it with the flat coat, and then I'll go back and do the pencils. But I've got a plan, and it's moving forward. The reason my bench is crowded is a new kit has snuck onto it. Uh-oh. It's not exactly a new kit, but it's a new project for me. Do tell. It's a Tamiya 72nd scale Mosquito, British Mosquito. Uh, it's the bomber version, the B Mark IV. And... Uh, the kit was released in about 1999-2000. It's been around forever. It's Tamiya, and it's really good because it's Tamiya. But it's not Tamiya 2020. There are, there are some flaws with it, but it's just started. And the reason it snuck onto my bench, the Mosquito's not my favorite airplane or anything like that. I don't have some innate love for the Mosquito that a lot of people do, although I'll admit it's a very good-looking airplane. Five or six 72nd scale aircraft modelers from around the country, guys that I know and guys who know guys I know, five of us, uh, John, Vict uh, John Vitkus, John Robinson, uh, Jim Bates, Rick Green, and Dr. David Gelmacher, to we were all missing the interaction that you get out of the local club. And since all, all of our clubs aren't holding regular monthly meetings. So Jim got the bright idea to do a group build and then do it with the addition of having once every three week Zoom meetings to have us all get together, talk about the kids, talk about where we are encourage each other, keep the mojo alive by having that 
upcoming meeting and knowing that you need to make progress in order to do that. So I I got sucked into that group build. And so I've just started working on the Tamiya kit. And that thing about the group build is going to come up a little bit later in our special segment. So I'll save some comments for there. But uh, it's just hit the bench. It's just in the very early stages. And so I'll withhold further comment till we, as the construction goes on. Well, that's quite a bit you got going on there. I need to get get cracking here and get caught up. You're going to lap me. (laughs) Maybe yes, maybe no. (laughs) We'll see. Well, in addition to building, have you been buying? What what broke your wallet in the last two weeks? Yeah, yeah, I have been buying, and uh, you know, I, I turned I turned fifty nine in August, and I think in a previous episode I referenced the fact that one of the things that made me a little sad was walking into my stash closet uh, and seeing all those kits there and wanting to build them all but realizing I probably wasn't going to get all of them done in my lifetime unless <laughs> Elon Musk Elon Musk perfects something to extend our life. So I'd kind of held off buying new kits and all uh, and, and was bound and determined that I was going to buy fewer kits because I'm not going to be able to finish all the ones I've got. But I did buy two kits uh, since our last last recording. Uh, I bought the Tamiya uh, Mosquito because I needed it for the group build. And believe it or not, I didn't have one in my in my stash, which is, of course, because of the fact that to me, it wasn't a particularly interesting airplane. So I had to go out and locate one. Luckily, thanks to eBay, I was lo- able to locate one reasonably priced. Uh, here in the US, the shipping took three or four days. And so I was able to get it and start on it. The other thing I bought was, and again, off of eBay, a trumpeter, uh, 72nd scale, uh, J 20, which is a, uh, uh, Chinese fighter aircraft, uh, that the Chinese have developed and started deploying in the last couple of years. It's a kind of a stealthy thing. It's got a, it's a very attractive look. Of course, now I'm kicking myself for buying another trumpeter kit unless their aircraft instructions are a lot better than their than their armor instructions. Um, I, may, I may come to regret that purchase, but bought two kits in the last uh, couple of weeks and uh, no hobby supplies or anything, uh, I don't think. So that's about it for breaking my wallet. What broke yours? Episode 21's special guest... Stephen Reed has cost me some money. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. It was just a matter of how much of it. Well, after wrapping up the recording, I mean, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, I think, after we were done that night, uh, I get a Facebook message from Steve. Hey, I know somebody with a Tiger Model Designs T34 STZ kit to get rid of. Oh, you're kidding. No, so uh, he had a friend who happened to be in the UK as part of the T-34 interest group and scale model group, and uh, he had the kit. He had a, an extra upper hull that was not, to my knowledge, was never offered. It's an STZ T-34 upper hull, an early one, uh, that was not part of this kit, but they had developed it and never really released it, unless I'm mistaken. 
and and a an extra lower hull. So I got an upper hull, a lower hull, and then a complete kit of Tiger model designs, T34, STZ, you know, Stalingrad kit. Were you at Amps when that was when that was premiered when Tiger showed up there? In fact, they did an entire uh, presentation uh, on their upcoming release of that kit of that kit. Were you at that Amps? No, I wasn't at that Amps. That was the, the, the year I didn't go and never went again after that. So I need to get back into that, going to that every now and then. It's a beautiful kit. Oh, it it was amazing. I mean, what they were able to achieve in casting resin that it just... It was super impressive, and I remember everybody. It was a packed, a packed presentation in one of the side rooms off of the, off the contest room, and people were just super impressed. Do you know how many of them they made and released? Because I, I got the impression that it wasn't a ton. No, it went away quick, and they tried to resurrect it. You know, TMD has come and gone a couple of times. Yes. Yes. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh, but this, that, that kit was released after, you know, they went dark for a little while after that, I think. And it just never came back and it was never offered for very long. And I missed it. I missed the darn thing, but now I've got one. And for what it is, I got it for a good price considering the extras. So I just dropped coin on this thing. So go ahead, mini art release away, post haste, mock snail. <laughs> No, no, you know that that's not how it works. You it have is how it works. Three, no, you have to be three quarters of the way through the construction, and then Mini Art will release the the, the injection kit. Well, luckily, that the price was nice enough that if Mini Art releases this kit, at least from a dollar perspective, I'll be okay. Good, but it is a resin kit. Uh, yeah, you know this is. This broke my wallet and my my nerve. I got into obtiling fi- obtiling five hundred two old paints right when they were released. Back, oh this guy's just what ten, twelve years ago now, or if not more. Yeah. Um, one one color in in my set, the olive green, kind of started getting stiff, and and you can't squeeze it out of the tube anymore. You can dig it out and thin it, and it'll work, but it just, it's got annoying. So. I ordered two colors off eBay. They're buff color and, and the, a replacement for my olive green. Uh, and when I got them, th- the buff color was as expected. It was oil paint in a tube. Mm-hmm. The olive green, however, and I posted this to the Facebook page, I think. Yeah. Uh, was full of this runny, dark green goop. I mean, completely unusable. It was the wrong color. A completely whiskey tango foxtrot moment. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you, you you could tilt the tube and dump it out almost. You barely squeeze it; and it would just come out like toothpaste. Hmm. And it was the wrong color. It was, it was more. It was more like their faded green color, which is actually a lot darker. It's like it was the end of the end of the process or something. They filled this tube with the the garbage when they should have shut the the, the equipment down. I don't know what yeah. happened, but I've I've messaged Obtiling Obtiling Five Hundred Two. Uh, no reply reply yet, and it's pushing a, a week or so now that I've I've not heard from them. I put a, a comment on their Facebook page to please check their messages, and they have not done so yet. 
And I'm not sure what to do yet because I also got an Optalung 502 pigment that had an issue about a year ago. And they never responded to my inquiry about that either. So they may get a package from me containing these two things. <laughs> That's going above and beyond, Mike. It, it is. And it's, you know, probably cost me $16 to send them back, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Other yeah. wallet breakers uh, bought these palm trees for potential use with this uh, Morris tractor deal I'm building. It's an HO scale set from Prizer. It's a German company. Yeah. They're styrene, but they're surprisingly decent looking palm trees, really? to be honest. Yeah. I think they're a bit tall. I mean, I think if I put them on a, put one or two of these on the base with the tractor and the bofors, they're going to overpower it. So I'd have to shorten them a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I, when I ordered them, I thought they might be made out of like polyethylene, like the old Airfix HO scale figures are. Right. Which are almost unpaintable. I mean, you paint them and you. you <laughs> You stare at it and the paint no, they're, flies off. They're very, they're very paintable again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. But these these things are 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 polystyrene, and you got to put them together. Of course, you got to glue all the fronds onto the the top of the the trunk. But uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to. I'll use them at, at some point with something eventually in 70 second scale. But I don't know if it's going to be this or not. It may be. Haven't decided yet. And finally. Uh, I ordered one of these flat bottom hole cutters. Flat. Oh, uh, yes. You showed you. You messaged me about those. Yes, I, I did. Uh, if you if you follow the modeling news, there's a there's a a builder building. A, I can't remember whose Mirage kit it is. Uh, but anyway, in one of the photographs, they 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 show drilling a flat bottom hole with these these uh these drills essentially. Uh, and I ordered them shortly after I pointed them out to you. Yeah, because there, there, I can think of at least three instances before this in my modeling history that I was like, "Man, I wish somebody would make a way to drill a flat bottom hole." And flat bottom holes, Dave, they make the rocking world go round. <laughs> well, do do me. By the way, it was the it was uh, Kitty Hawk's thirty second scale Mirage two thousand, I believe. Okay, was the, what was being built, but. Uh, Describe because when you t- first texted me about these, I didn't understand what you were telling me, and so I once I went and looked at the modeling news and saw what you were talking about, I understood. And yeah, they're they're super cool, and I can see how they're useful. But try and describe for the listener what it what it actually is. Well, it's. The the brand that's visible in the article on the modeling news is Galaxy Model. And if you get on eBay and look, flat bottom hole drills, they're all the same, but they're not really branded. It's just Chinese, generic, whatever, right? Uh, but it's a, it's a handle, and then it's a fret of etched blades from about one millimeter in width to up to 16 millimeter. Uh, and the sheet has about 18 increments in it so they're but they're not evenly spaced you get like more increments on the low end than you do the high end but anyway it's a it's a square tip blade with a with a pilot point in the center and basically it it scrapes away the plastic as you turn it and it it generates a hole that's got a instead of a conical bottom like you would get from a standard drill bit or even those pivot drills that i use from time to time 
you get a hole that has vertical sides and a flat bottom. So if you're putting in, say, for an aircraft, I think it was uh, some kind of marker lights or something. Yes, exactly. And then, and then for armor, there's a there's a whole whole slew of uh, photo etched uh, screw heads and bolt heads that have like a like a Phillips type or a slot slot type screw head in them that are photo etched brass discs that need a really need a flat bottom hole to drop into and maintain being, you know, level. So this I think is, uh, especially the, the one millimeter, one millimeter up to about four millimeters is going to be really useful for armor modelers to, uh, to use those photo etched screw heads. You'll have definitely have to put a link on the, on the, uh, show notes of this of this episode and link to it so people can can see uh, what these things are because immediately upon actually seeing what you were texting me about I was like oh yeah that's cool but it took me seeing it visually so so I've ordered them and the price ranges from about twenty dollars down to eleven or ten eleven twelve dollars and they're all the same they all use the same pictures. So I picked the I picked the seller with the best price with the most reasonable feedback, <laughs> and, and I ordered them. And I've always already got acknowledgement that the label's been cut with a tracking number. So uh, I'll let everybody know when they come on the Facebook page, and I'll I'll put them to task because I'm. This is something that I've wanted for a long time, and I didn't know they existed until I saw this modeling news feature on the on the on the web blog. Yeah. You'll definitely have to keep us informed as the, these things come in because I can see how they'd be cool and I, I can't wait to get an actual review of the things. Well, that's all that broke my wallet. I think that's plenty. It is. Wasn't too terrible. <laughs> so our special segment tonight is titled Kentucky Dave in the Shelf of Doom. Yep. I've got one. And we've all got <laughs> one. Everybody listening probably has one. Some... some uh fortuitous listeners may have been able to avoid the shelf of doom or the shelf of shame shelf queens hanger queens shelf of doom what is that that is the place where forsaken model projects go to either languish forever or hopefully be reconstituted and finished at some point so since you said you've got one what's what currently is on your shelf of doom dave a list too long to go through all of them, but... Okay, well, let's hit the high points then. Okay, well, a couple of years ago, right before, uh, as everybody knows, two years ago, my wife and I bought a new house, and so everything had to move. Right before I did that, I had counted my Shelf of Doom projects and had gotten up to at least 25 um, oh my God. Yes, 25. Uh, that's why I'm not going to list them all. But uh, I, I, I've, I've trashed some of them when I was moving. I was like, okay, this is never going anywhere. Or this has been supplanted by a better kit or whatever. So I've thinned it down, but it is still a massive, massive number. Um, some of the things that are on there are a uh, one of the oldest ones is a Tamiya KV-1B uh, that 
I started building because I like the KV-1s. I like the, even more than the T-34s, I think the KVs are to me just very attractive tanks. And so I got, to me, it's KV-1B kit and uh, a set of model, is it model casting or who does the plastic ones? Yeah, model casting. Model casting. So that project sitting on my shelf, uh, the I assembled all of the tracks, and then the project died. Uh, it just stopped. Uh, I've got a, let's see, I've got a uh, Platts T-33, Airfix P-51. Uh, I've got, oh, one of the one of the older ones, a Tamiya Jeep that I was building for. Uh, our club has or used to have, and they sometimes still do, uh, challenge builds where we'll, we members of the club will all agree that we're going to build the same kit, same time, and then you know five months down the road we all bring them to one of the monthly meetings and. You know, we have a mini contest or whatever. And one time, probably 15 years, 17 years ago, uh, we decided to build the Tamiya Jeep. And my project got all the way halfway through the painting stage and then stopped. Um, I didn't finish it by the deadline. And then after the deadline passed, I just stopped. So it sat there for the last 15 years. Um, I've got a lot of stuff on the, on the shelf of doom, but those are a representative sample. Do you have, do you have a shelf of doom, Mike? Of course I do. I'm a modeler. (laughs) Well, you took a little hiatus and I don't know if the little hiatus cleared out your shelf of doom. No, it did not. Um, (laughs) Okay. So what's on my shelf of doom currently is a uh, a T thirty four eighty five model nineteen forty three. It's a uh, I can't remember the name. Complete complete zip zip. I, I I can't remember. It's a, it's a Russian resin company uh, made the turret, and I'd started to modify a dragon hull, and just stopped. <laughs> uh, also on the shelf of doom is a KV eighty five. So we got that in common. I remember that project. Yeah. So so currently the KV eighty five is just the turret because I bend the rest of it. The hull I had done a lot of work on and just got sick of it. I kept the turret because the turret is the biggest misconception about the KV eighty five. And when I stopped working on that, the reason it's on the shelf of doom is because both trumpeter and bronco models had announced a KV-85. And I was working from the Eastern Express kit. So what are the odds that 80, 90% of the kit that's going to be announced is going to be better than what I'm working on already? Pretty high. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but, But I kept the turret because the turret is where it usually gets screwed up. And I should have just kept going because the, the trumpeter KV-85 made the turret mistake, which is it's essentially a IS-2 turret, which has a different hatch arrangement than the KV-85. And the nose is a little shorter, but they may have got that part right. But that, but the hatch arrangement is wrong. 
So that turret is wrong in that kit. And the Bronco kit, for some reason, they made the commander's cupola about half again as big as it really is in 35th scale. And they put a bunch of weld seams on the on the upper hull, which don't need to be there because they're removable plates. So it's it's got its issues too. So now I'm in a conundrum because it's still a vehicle I really want to model, but I've got to kind of refocus and figure out which route I'm going to take now that I don't have the hull anymore to what I'd already started, which may be okay because I don't think it was as good as either of these kits that have been announced, but the turret is still the issue. So that's the part I kept. <laughs> so, so that's why that one's there. Why, why are your, why is the KV on the shelf of doom? Uh, you know what? I'm the KV. I'm not sure. I just lost interest. Um, I, but I will tell you, there is a theme to my shelf of doom and it's one that you're probably going to get a chuckle out of my shelf of doom. I would say, 50% of my shelf of doom consists of models where I got either sucked into a group build or sucked into a challenge build or another modeler and I were both going to do uh, uh, F8 kits and we were going to build you know, together and then meet at some contest and have put them both down. Almost 50% of my shelf of doom is projects where it wasn't a passion project. It was a participation project. And then for various and sundry reasons, I lost interest or, you know, the, the, I didn't make the deadline or whatever. Now, I know the listeners are saying to themselves, but he just said that he got he's he's participating in a group build of a Tamiya Mosquito. Yes, I did. So <laughs> the irony of this special subject is that either I don't learn from my mistakes, which is definitely true. Also, the other thing is I I, I do realize in reflection of all of this that sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's not the completion of the kit, that's the satisfaction. Uh, it's the interaction with the, the other modelers in your group build or challenge build or whatever. Now, you want to finish and you hope you do, but it's not the one and only thing that's important about one of those. Because the, the models on my shelf of doom that that are languishing there due to a group build or a challenge build or a build for a particular display, I really don't regret starting them. Um, I I can't say that I didn't enjoy most of them, uh, but they, they just didn't make it to the finish. So probably the biggest single grouping is models that I started that weren't passion projects for me, but were something that I decided to build because of, you know, a group build, a challenge build, a, a display build, etc. So that's fully half of, of mine. Um, which kind of, uh, which kind of tracks with what I told Brandon Walters in my reply to him for his listener mail that 
picking subjects that you're not passionate about raise the risk that they're going to end up on the shelf of doom. (laughs) Absolutely. And this is the perfect example of that is that because I'm building the, not because I want to build that model, but because I want to participate with my friends in the, in the group build or whatever, that's it. That is exactly correct. It's not something you're passionate about and therefore is more likely to go off the rails. Um, there is at least some of my projects where you're building a model and you hit a point where something screws up or you realize that the kit maker, uh, you know, botched something and it would take a lot to fix it. And so at that point, it's you lose steam because of the fact that you know, it's like, this is more trouble than it's worth now. Everything was going along fine. And I hit something and realized that the, the kit maker screwed up or, or I screwed up in the build. And I just don't have the energy to fix the problem. And so those tend to go to that. Those tend to be other things that cause, uh, a shelf of doom, uh, a relegation to the shelf of doom. Why are you, why are yours on the shelf of doom? Well, I kind of already hinted on the, the KV 85. It was, uh, the desire to not get too far down the road after a, a better kit, if not two better kits entered the marketplace. So I, I, I put that on the shelf in hopes that, something better was going to come along and I, I, I get a better start because it was those Eastern express kits were, uh, they're a little bit rough. No. <laughs> that's probably, that's probably an understatement. Oh, come uh, on. They're not Allen kits. They're pretty close. <laughs> yeah. They are. So it, it, it just got to the point where I, I just, it's like, man, I just want to wait and, and see what, what comes of these kits. The the T thirty four project though was was a an information deficit kind of situation. I, I wasn't sure based on the model of T thirty four I was building what what the upper hull was supposed to look like, especially the turret deck. You know the horizontal plate with the turret race in it. Sure. What what it looked like because these the the model forty threes were the first T thirty four eighty fives built and. I just kind of started down a path and I I was really unsure of it. And I was like, "Eh, I I better wait. And now I've waited long, long enough that many art may do this thing. So I may get, may get a chance to start over completely from, uh, from scratch. Well, another thing happened too, which, which can also cause things to end up on the shelf of doom. Um, It was a, a Russian source resin turret, really, really nice turret from the complete zip company or i'm not sure how to say it but uh, anyway and I, I ended up breaking one of the parts and, and i think it was the 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 tops of the commander's cupola the hatches and they were really fragile and i broke one and getting a replacement was tough so i actually ended up buying another turret i've got a second turret that i've never assembled yet uh in hopes that to resurrect that project but now i'm just not sure what to do because the, Mini art is kind of flirting with that 
that version of T34. So I'm not sure. That's how it ended up on the shelf of doom. So those are my two. I only have two, but I'm a slow builder. Well, let me ask you, I'm going to give you the oddest, the oddest reason for a model ending up on the shelf of doom. And this has happened more than once to me being too successful. And I know you're going, what do you mean too successful? <laughs> I've got an Airfix P40 on my shelf that I was building as one of the Pearl Harbor P40s, one of the ones that got into the air and, and scored uh, against the Japanese on December 7th. And this was not long after the Airfix P40 came out. I had already built the Trumpeter P40. So I started building the Airfix P40. It's a really nice kit. Uh, it went to gather very well. It's uh, it's well detailed without being overly complex. And I painted it, or I assembled it, got everything. I mean, no, no screw-ups, no mistakes. Everything's coming together. I, I prime it. I pre-shade it. Uh, I, I start painting it using, you know, really getting in there and trying to, to change panel uh, uh, panel colors and, and stuff like that. And the finish is really nice. It got to the point where I really it popped. And it's like, yeah, this is what I wanted. And then I put the decals down. I started putting the decals down and decals all went down. It's uh, a set from Starfighter decals. Uh, went beautiful. And then... I stopped. And I think the reason I stopped was I liked the way it was looking so well that a paralyzing fear of screwing it up took hold. And I never finished it. And it, to this day, is sitting on the shelf of Dune. And, uh, you know, maybe someday I'm going to get over it and just pull it out and finish it. But it it got to the shelf of doom because it was going too well. Well, you got to finish that. <laughs> yeah, well, you are not the only person to say that. Everybody says that. That's pr- that's pretty lame. I know. I'm, I'm confessing. I'm here to confess. That is absolutely lame. I I completely admit that. And I now have this giant mental block that that's causing me not to go forward on it. Well, I, I get that sometimes when I'm faced with a new technique or, well, this little Morris tractor, I was, I knew what I wanted to do, but never, never trying it. It's certainly not going to get done that way. Right. So right. I just, I load up the wet palette and I just went at it. You know, what's funny is, uh, uh, I think this group build of guys, then we're all building the mosquito. One of the guys said, um, because we were talking about this subject and not finishing models and all of this stuff. And one of the guys said, you know, we all have models on our shelves where we don't want to build it until we get better. And he said, what's your plan for getting better? <laughs> and and well, that's absolutely true. you got to build to get better. Yeah. And, and if you, pick subjects you're not passionate about just to get 
skills and to get better, they're going to end up on the shelf of doom as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So pick stuff you're interested in and actually build it. Yeah. Well, any other reasons things end up on the, on the shelf of doom, even if it's not yours? Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any, uh, well, of course there's always the classic, which is you're 90% done with the project. And to me, a releases the same model in, you know, it, the exact same kit or the exact same subject of what you're building. And of course it's a thousand percent better and it just takes the wind out of your sails. That happens to a lot of people when they're doing scratch builds or, or, you know, complex, uh, uh, complex modeling to convert to another, another version or something like that. And you get three quarters of the way through and then, the thing is actually released as a brand new kit. And that can, that can relegate a model to the shelf of doom quick. A mistake can as well, or a, yes. a botched technique or something like that. That's another way they can end up on the shelf of doom. Uh, I mentioned information deficits. That's that, that hits me a lot. I, I get into something that I, I, uh, I think I've got everything I need. Then I, then I hit a, point where i was like well i'm not real sure and i'm i tend to wait and wait it out as, as opposed to just pushing ahead with it i was going to say i know a lot of modelers who have a lot of projects they've never started because they're waiting for that one last piece of information and the problem with doing that is that that may never come so that's not exactly shelf of doom it's almost project of doom well you got any strategies to recover any of these or to avoid the shelf of doom? This is what I want the listeners to help me with. Because I have only rarely, very rarely, I can only think of maybe two or three instances where once a kit has made it to the shelf of doom, it has ever been pulled off and seen completion. Um. The only strategy I came up with, and it wasn't very successful, as you can tell from what I just said, is trying to commit to myself that, you know, I'm going to start one new project. And then when I finish that, I'm going to pull one off the shelf of doom before I start another new project. Um, and, and I've done that once or twice, but it's just, I don't have the discipline to, to live up to that. Um, but I, I really, I'm, I'm open to suggestions from, from our listeners because there are some over there that I want to get back and get finished. There are some over there that deserve to be finished that aren't that far from completion, uh, that wouldn't take that much to, to complete. So I'm, I'm well open to, to listeners providing their suggestions, especially if they successfully managed to clear off a portion of their shelf of doom. Well, my KV eighty five project, I would like to get off the shelf of doom, but it may be a that one may just be a full stop and then restart. There, and there's no shame in doing that. If you know you're you're into a project and something better comes out of the same subject that you're interested in building, you know there's no shame in in putting the kit aside and saying, okay, I'm going to start from scratch with the new kit and 
it may lead you to actually getting completed, whereas the old kit, you you wouldn't because of the challenges you were facing. All right. Well, you got anything else for that subject? No, but I, again, I am listen, interested in the listeners telling me how to get kits off of the shelf of Dune. Uh, any suggestions you've got uh, or and suggestions for avoiding getting on the shelf of Doom as well. So, uh, Mike, uh, do you have any shout-outs for the listeners? I do have a couple of shout-outs. Well, go ahead. Joe Portia from uh, the Las Vegas IPMS chapter. Joe has taken your tell-a-friend about the podcast to heart and... He has told us he's he's shared our podcast with uh, about a hundred of his modeling Facebook friends. Fantastic! And then, kind of on that same vein, Warren Starrett at the Golden Sprue Awards, when he reached out to all the podcasts, uh, we all have been plugging his effort for the Golden Sprue Awards. But uh, in reciprocity, he gave uh, all the podcasts in our little uh, cabal. Uh, a link placement on his website. That's and great. I think, I think together, this seems to be the meat of our recent increase in listenership. As our podcast has grown, we we had, you know, very very low performance at the front end, and then once once uh, Dave and the on the bench guys, and then Stuart and the Scale Model Podcast started uh, supporting us, we had a kind of a step change, and then it it started growing kind of organically from there as well and inching its way upward. And then about, uh, about six weeks ago now, I think three, three episodes counting this one, uh, we, we kind of saw another, another step change in our listenership and uh, it seems to correlate when, uh, these kind of things happened. So we really appreciate that. So you guys get a shout out for, for supporting us. And, uh, we're also supporting the IPMS national convention in Las Vegas every episode until that happens. And uh, we keep plugging Warren as well. So we hope his Golden Sprue Awards is a success. And that's my shout outs. What about you? Well, uh, I'd like to shout out the guys that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, uh, John Vitkus, uh, John Robinson, Rick Green, uh, Dr. David Gelbacher, and Jim Bates uh, for inviting me in and allowing me to participate in the group build. Um, you know, successful or not, we'll see. And hopefully hopefully, I'll break my curse and this thing won't end up on the shelf of doom. But regardless of that, I'll tell you what, the interaction with other modelers is fantastic uh, because of COVID and everything. We're, we're interacting less face-to-face than, than we used to. And uh, we had our first uh, Zoom meeting a couple of weeks ago where we all got on and, and were talking about, okay, which, which mosquito are you going to build and what markings, you know, what, what aftermarket de- or decals do you have for it? What's, what's stuff that's good or not so good? And we started talking and two hours later, we all looked down and realized we had been on this thing for two hours, laughing our butts off because constantly cracking jokes, taking shots. Uh, it was fantastic. And so I'm thanking all of those guys and shouting out to them. Uh, thank you for letting me come in and participate because it, it was fun. And I 
have no doubt that our future meetings will be just as fun. All right, we're getting to the end here, Dave. I know, I know, it's getting late. Well, as we say, so many kits, so little time. See you later, man. See you next time. All right.